0: Here's the pitch, Oliver wants to throw, he's got Lance Carl open, top, 15, 10, 5, touchdown! The Buffaloes have scored on a 52 yard pass from O.C.
1: it go. He's got three people down there. The ball's up in the air.
0: Caught! Touchdown! Caught by Westbrook for a touchdown!
2: Five-step drop. Sefo
0: Lufau wants the deep ball.
2: A on the hands! Touchdown,
0: Nelson Spruce! Lufau will take a shot downfield. And it is handed by Bryce Ball. Pitch. Remember that for your highlight show tonight.
2: Drew to the corner for Carrington. Intercepted! Colorado got it! Witherspoon! With the biggest play in Colorado football for years! Welcome in to a new Buff Stampede radio. Adam Munster Tiger, publisher of BuffStampede.com, here with fan correspondent Tyler Ziskin. Tyler. In a matter of seconds out in (laughs) Eugene, we went from, here we go again, to tears of joy.
0: Literally. Yeah. (laughs) Everybody on Twitter, after they gave up the second touchdown and we turned the ball over again, was like, okay, really? This again? I'm going to go cry myself into sleep in a corner here. And then we did cry, but not for the reasons we thought. You know who the happiest person had to be? Me. (laughs) <laughs> Tedrick Thompson. Yeah, seriously, geez. <laughs> you had a rough final drive for yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah,
2: Very uncharacteristic for him. He's usually such a steady player. But yeah, Kelly Witherspoon obviously with the interception in the corner of the end zone with 48 seconds left. And uh, Colorado had been on the wrong side of so many of those games and just a huge breakthrough for this program. I was out in Eugene, and i got to tell you, in that third quarter, when Oregon was rolling and Montez was turning the ball over, I just didn't see any way possible they were going to be able to get momentum. That that Odson Stadium was on fire at that point.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's looking back at the stats, it's crazy. We didn't allow Oregon to score a single point in the fourth quarter, which I wouldn't have said that that was how it was going down watching it um, until I watched it again. Um, unbelievable job by the defense to you know regain their ground and slow them down when we needed to the most you know um, that third quarter was tough I mean if once yet we turned the ball over on a play that really honestly was a mistake in my opinion we were running the ball for nine yards every single play on that drive try to take a shot I think you just kind of keep hammer down their throats until they stop you in that type of situation return it to midfield they score really quickly Um... And then, obviously, we go three and out in the next drive, didn't get a, didn't get anything going there, and then a turnover again on the one following that. I mean, defense was on the field way too much in that third quarter. You could see them start to get tired. Didn't have a lot of push up front for that entire stretch, and Oregon just took full advantage.
2: Yeah, there was a time there when Kyle Evans was, you were talking about the chunks of yards they were picking mm-hmm. up. He averaged 6.1 yards per, per carry in that game. I think it was Montez's first real long run that seemed to kind of get this team to kind of take a big sigh of relief and go, okay, we still have a chance to win this football game. What can you you say about Steven Montez's performance?
0: Unbelievable. I I was watching the game before getting ready for this. Just unbelievable performance. I mean, obviously he had a couple freshman mistakes. Um, Those are to be expected. I mean, he was just so much farther ahead of anything that I think we anticipated he would be. He looked so comfortable. I'll never forget that he had one throw, off his back foot into pressure, slant to Bryce Bobo, throws it behind his receiver, and Bobo caught it from around the receiver's back. Just an unbelievable throw. Like, Not too many dudes are making that throw as a redshirt freshman. Um, huge plays downfield, showed his speed on a couple of his runs, got a 30-yard run on the drive that led to Bryce Bobo touchdown to end up winning the game for us. Huge move in the pocket to use Kyle Evans as a blocker and avoid two blitzing rushers. Unbelievable poise in that game. I just can't say enough about how huge of a performance that was and what that could possibly do for the future of this program. I mean, this this stretch now has an opportunity to really put us where we have wanted to be for so long, and this game is going to be a huge part of that if we're able to do it.
2: We're obviously going to talk more about the Oregon win, look ahead to Oregon State. I have an interview with co-offense coordinator and receivers coach Darren Shaverini. Uh, the Buff Stampede mailbag, which we do every week, Tyler Ziskin's Pac 12 power rankings, and we've got to talk about Evan Batty being the third four star basketball commitment. Before we, we jump into that next thing, let's kind of look back and we'll, this was the biggest win since since when for, for Colorado? Um,
0: there are a few options for sure. Um, I chose the Oklahoma win in 2007 as the, as okay. the biggest one for me um, just because of the prowess that Oklahoma had for that game. I mean, if you're talking about road games, it's before I was even a fan, honestly. Um, But you're comparing it to the home games, I mean, West Virginia, Georgia, Nebraska are all good options for you for sure. But I chose the Oklahoma one because at home that was the only one against a real legitimate powerhouse. Um, And Oregon obviously isn't that this year, but beating them on the road in Austin after blowing the lead, unbelievable.
2: I I think it's hard for some people to... To look at it this way just because it, with hindsight being 2020, we we know what happened after Colorado's overtime victory over West Virginia on Thursday, September 18th, 2008. But if you really put yourself back into that night, Colorado had gone to a bowl game the year before. They signed the 15th ranked recruiting class. They were 3-0 at that point. Rodney Stewart was fantastic early on as a true freshman all was right with the world when it came to Colorado and that's Dan Hawkins gets an extension there. Mm -hmm. So I get why somebody would go kind of have a bad taste in their mouth, especially because that performance resulted in Dan Hawkins getting an extension. But if you just look at where, how everybody felt that night, I feel like that is that night. It it was the last big win that they had as they had some other big moments, just not, not maybe beating like, You mentioned the uh, Oklahoma game, but they also, in in 2007, they beat Nebraska 65-51 going to a bowl game the last time they went to a bowl game. Again, I don't like Dan Hawkins. There's very few people in Boulder that do, uh, so it's hard to
0: look back at some of those games under him. Yeah, that game was a lot of fun. I remember you were talking about Nebraska being terrible that year. I remember bringing a sign to that game was when they still let you bring signs as a student into the game that just said, CU supports Bill Callahan and right before he got fired. Yeah. And I'm not even joking. I had like 200 Nebraska fans throughout the day come up and take pictures of me with it. They thought it was so funny. Uh, it was man, really it was, cold that day, wasn't it? Yeah, It was. I mean, but we dominated. 65-51 doesn't even show like how ugly it really was. They scored a bunch of points late that didn't really matter. I mean, that game, I remember one that I haven't seen mentioned lately that there are three that stick out in my mind is, when we beat um, Des Bryant in Oklahoma State and then also Michael Crabtree in Texas Tech while I was in college, those were both huge wins um, against teams that had really high-powered offenses. I really enjoyed both of those. Those two stick out in my memory along with the West Virginia and the Georgia win as well.
2: Yeah, if Dan Hawkins could just coach against Texas Tech every time, yeah, he would have right. been
0: a pretty good coach. Yeah, beat them on the road too.
2: Yeah. We talked a little bit about Steven Montez's big day. Of course, 468 yards of offense, the most uh, for any first time starter in program history and I, I found this kind of hard to believe that he was the first uh, in history to go 300 yards passing and 100 yards rushing you would
0: have thought that would have happened somewhere along the line but yeah Cordell being the main guys you, you would have thought that he would have had a chance to do that obviously before that time there was not a lot of passing so I could see that but yeah you would think the Cordell skill set that would have had to have happened at some point
2: yeah so there's a couple threads on our message board
0: Wondering, hey, is there a quarterback controversy? <laughs> come on, man, no. It's, this It's so funny to me because like, we've been basically batting off the people all summer long saying that, oh, Montez is overrated. He's never going to start here. He's not that good. He goes in against Michigan, plays poorly. Ever, so, of course, all the hounds come out and start dogging him. There's just, only a few just, real aggressive fans, yeah. but they were definitely yeah. loud about it. Yeah, one of them is now crowing for Montez to start the rest of the year, I've noticed. <laughs> Jesus Christ. But anyways, um, yeah, I mean, it's just you. Come on. Sefo's been a beast all year. Oregon's defense is bad. I'm not trying to take anything away from Montez. What he did was unbelievable. But Sefo would have been able to do that as well if healthy. Um, in my opinion, uh, those fra- those mistakes that really let Oregon back into the game, you expect uh, Sefo not to make those as well. Um, and he's your senior leader, man. I mean, there's a reason we struggled so much when he went out against Michigan. The team rallies around him. They love him. He is super tough. He just knows how to get it done at this point. He's been here long enough. Montez, an unbelievable job, and again, not trying to take anything away from him, but I think you have to go with a guy that got you to this point um, and has been through everything there is to go through for this program. If he's healthy, he's still your guy.
2: Well, it's like, what have you been trying to do these last few years? Get to the point where they are now with having a majority of juniors and seniors Mm -hmm. out there. You don't just go away from that because a kid has a great game. Uh, Cepho Lufau, what he has gained in terms of his experience the last four years is invaluable. You can't duplicate that. Going at Stanford, going at USC, going at Arizona, um, and, and UCLA coming into Folsom, you know in those games you want Cepho Lufau behind center, and the players will tell you that he sees line of things, obviously because of that experience at the line of scrimmage, that Steven Montez just isn't going to be able to at this point. So.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think this is also a good problem to have. We're, like, trying to make everything a controversy, but if for some reason somebody does go down or really struggles in a game, you can bring in Montez with confidence that he's able to boost your team. That's a good problem to have. I don't know why we're trying to make it, like, oh, no, this person has to play now. <laughs> like, it's all right to have two good quarterbacks. Obviously, you want Sefo to stay healthy and take most of the snaps, but, I mean, this is a good place to be and that we definitely did not see coming, so... Um, you just got to enjoy it sit back and enjoy it man this is fun football to watch
2: with uh, Sam Neuer looking the part during preseason camp as a true freshman and Tyler Lytle verbally committed we had talked about how the future of the quarterback position was uh, looking pretty bright and now following Montez's performance you're just
0: pretty excited about that position going forward this offense is going to be something special the next couple years uh, especially next year I mean (laughs) we were talking about this on Twitter yesterday all the wide receivers come back. The guy that we thought was going to be the number one receiver for the year, Joan Winfrey, will be back. We've got three, four stars coming in, depending on which recruiting service you choose to look at. I mean, this wide receiver class is going, to, or this wide receiver group is going to be absolutely unbelievable.
2: You get all your running backs back. Yeah. If Jeremy Irwin decides to come back, you get four out of five starters. Timmy Lenot will move into center. You mm. put Huckins in at guard. Uh, you're not losing a whole lot there with Alex Kelly graduating. The only other guy you're losing is Sean Irwin, who they haven't used a lot in the passing game this year. So, uh, yeah, the, the the offense next year is going to put up a ton of points, no question. Before we get into my interview with Darren Chavarini, we've got to talk a ton of little men's basketball recruiting. Everybody knows my thoughts about Evan Batty. Roll tat. Yeah. This is uh, pretty incredible to identify three guys, and they'll certainly... You know, if they could pick and shoot three guys in the entire country, they're going to shoot a little bit higher. You can get some five stars in. But in terms of guys they had a legitimate chance at,
0: they go three for three. Yeah, and three studs. I mean, like, you can say what you want about, oh, they didn't get a guy in the top 80 or whatever. These are three really good basketball players that have a lot of upside potential. Um, Batty, if he, I mean, obviously there's a little more risk there with his weight. Um, you, if you, you assume he's going to get in good shape. Uh, you never really know, though. But if he does get in good shape, he's going to be a stud. He's got all the physical tools offensively you'd, you would want. Obviously, defensively, you'd like him to get a little better shape um, so he can battle more uh, effectively in the post, uh, get a little bit higher off the ground on some of those defensive possessions. But he is absolutely a phenomenal basketball player. Great touch for a big man. He's really going to be a weapon for us. A, level, a type of player that we have not had here. Um, but perfect for Tad on that he's... Kind of a tweener, and he's really versatile. Tad loves those kind of guys. We just haven't had it in this mold yet. I'd imagine he'll probably
2: lose about 15, 20 pounds. And he's never—it's not going to be like a Torrey Miller situation where you sculpt his body. It's going to be—he's always going to be a little bit on the pudgy side if you just look at kind of his body type. Uh, my favorite thing in this world is on some of those, those highlight clips where he
0: gets a steal and he's running point guard on the fast break. <laughs> yeah, dude, he's awesome. He's going to be so much fun to watch. I can't even wait. I'm, I'm totally spacing on the guy. was the Oregon State guy? Oh, yeah. That we all loved. The purple, the blue Mohawk for a while. Joe yeah. something. I'm blanking on his name. Yeah. He Joe was so something. fun to yeah, watch. Yeah, he was awesome to watch, too. Man, those it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm excited to watch this. And it's incredibly timed as well. I mean, we were to the point where we knew we were going to have a really good team this year. But not 100% sure what next year's group was going to look like. We needed a big class. We got a big class for sure. Um Especially, you know, we got the transfer name on right from Missouri will be eligible Mm -hmm. next year as well. That's a big stopgap for us. Um, I really think this program has the pieces to be a perennial tournament team for the next four or five years for sure.
2: Lucas Sewert has done really well on the offensive end of the court, uh, playing with the guys since he got on campus. Bryce Peters, you'll love his moxie, his potential. We'll talk more about this men's basketball program because they do start practices on Friday at the end of the show if you want to hear some more hoops talk. Here is the interview I had with Darren Cheverini. Coach, uh, four games in into the season, kind of general feelings about how things are going for your offense.
1: You know, we're 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 excited about the way we've been playing, but you know, you're only as good as your last game, and I told those guys that. So, you know, you got to continue to work the process, and the results will come, and, and they've been coming for us. But now we got to take the next step, and we got to show consistency. We've shown the, the ability to score, and we've shown the ability to move the ball and be able to get first downs to stay on the field and run tempo. But now. what what do you do when you've had a little success you know and we we preach to them like hey the true test of a man's character is how you respond to adversity but how you respond to success is just as important and so you know they're up for the challenge they're working hard and we're going to continue to coach them hard. When you got hired you came up with the the slogan the rise is this kind of how you envision things going when you get hired? Yeah it's special coming back home you know obviously I played here and and, uh, we won a lot of games and bowl games here and, and you know, I wanted to come back and help our program. I wanted to help Coach McIntyre and, and help the staff, and, and I think I've been able to do that, but it's all, it's all of us. It's not just me. It's, it's our whole coaching staff. It's our players out there making plays, and Coach Mac preaches it. Players make plays, players win games, and I believe in that too. I mean, we can coach them, but at the end of the day, the players got to commit to the process, and they've done that. And, you know, we, we're excited. Yeah, I think the rise is real right now, and we've got to continue to keep it real the rest of the year.
2: How has the relationship with you and Coach Lindgren worked on game days? How have you felt about that dynamic? It's
1: been great. You know, we, we both have a lot of respect for each other. I think we've both made each other better coaches. You know, I, I bought a lot of stuff from me from when I was at Texas Tech and, and – we we're still doing stuff that he did last year. So I think there's a really good give and take with both of us. And we're we're very different personalities. So we mesh well together. And uh, game day's been great because like I said, we both trust each other. So when I'm giving him plays to run, he's like, Yeah, sure, let's get to that. And I'm saying Brian, let's get to this, like, yeah, let's get to that. So it's been a good it's been a good mix.
2: Seems like your receivers group has a pretty good mix
1: of competition and camaraderie. How did you kind of create that within that room? You coach them hard. You coach them hard and love them later, man, and, and that's what I believe in. You know, I'm going to love the kids up, but I'm going to coach them hard and, and get get the most out of them. I think the most important thing for a coach is to take players where they can't take themselves. You know, and that's what we're trying to do as a staff, and that's what I try to do as a coach. And at the end of the day, those kids are the ones doing. I told them that. So it's not me; it's you guys making the plays. I might be pushing you, but it's on you guys to go out there and execute.
2: Rice Bobo's got some airtime on Center with those catches. Uh, you talked about kind of realizing that he needed a different type of coaching. Yeah. Could you kind of expound on your relationship with him and kind of how, what, what you've seen out of him?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, when <clears throat> I'm a very passionate guy, and I coach with my heart on my sleeve a lot. And when I first got here, you know, Bobo was kind of going through the motions, and I used to jump on him and kind of, you know, get on him, and he would kind of he'd kind of shy away from that kind of coaching you know, and then, you know, he wanted to try to make the move to safety in camp. And then I sat down with him and said, hey, man, look, I'm not mad at you. You know, I, I care about you. I want to see you do well. You know, if I got to coach you a little bit different, I will. I'll talk to you a little bit. But I need you to respond if I'm going to talk to you like that, you know. And, and we did. We had a really, you know, good breakthrough as a coach and a player. And, and he's responded. You know, I have a lot of respect for that kid. He, he busts his butt. He makes big-time plays. He's accountable on game day. He's consistent on game day and that's what you want as a coach you know everybody's a little bit different sometimes you got to find what motivates them and for Bryce that was that was kind of like the trigger factor with him I had to talk to him a little bit different you know
2: and your group has a nickname how did that come about
1: you know I, I'm not sure who came up with the name I think it might have been Joan, but mm-hmm. I, I got to find out who actually came up with it but it's been something that that they have uh they have a lot of pride in, in the blackout boys you know and I think it's cool because when I when I played here, we, we were called the Untouchables. You know, we all had shirts, we all had nicknames, and Coach Darrell, a member our receiver coach at the time, our coordinator, he said, hey, "You guys come up with a name, and we're going to go with that." So he came up with the Untouchables, and and, and these guys are the Blackout Boys. So it's pretty cool. It, it creates an identity. It creates a kind of swagger of the group, and they're, and they're and they're owning up to it. They're they're playing to that level, and they got to keep playing to that level. Thanks, Coach. You're welcome. Will Tyler, I think.
0: Uh... Coach Chevrini is, is a rock star, pure and simple. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how you could say it any other way at this point. What he's done with the offense, recruiting, just just as a personality in Boulder, the guy's a stud, man. Um, I hope we keep him around for a while because he is a star, and based on what we've seen so far in a couple of years, he's risen up the ranks in a hurry. I, I'd be hard-pressed to convince me that he's not going to be a head coach soon.
2: You have questions, and we have answers. Well, at least these guys think they do. It's time to dive into the Buff Stampede radio mailbag, which is presented by the Blake Street Tavern. Located one block north of Coors Field, the Blake Street Tavern has been Denver's premier sports bar since its opening in 2003. The Blake Street Tavern, where the game is always on, the drinks are always full, and the fun never stops. NYTJ Buff fan on the Stampede Elite message board asked, Where does this class rank in basketball classes you've covered? I think there's only one other class you can kind of compare it with, and that's 2012 when they mm-hmm. signed Josh Scott, Wesley Gordon, and Xavier Johnson, all four-star guys. That was a bigger class that that year. So I think they got sometimes with those class rankings, you get a little bit of the benefit of of you know the quantity as well as the quality. This year, only signing three, it's going to be a little bit harder for them to you know have like a top 20 class, but uh, certainly. And then, you know, we've seen that basically Tad Boyle has basically rewritten history for Colorado men's basketball. Aside from a year you get a Chauncey Billups,
0: I don't really know what else yeah. in the history of the program could compare to this. Yeah, I mean, that the 2012 class is the only one I would rank ahead of it. Pretty simple for me. Josh Scott was a top 45 recruit. We don't have that in this class. Um, not only did he live up to that billing, he probably exceeded it. Absolutely phenomenal college player. One of the best in the country the last two years he was healthy. Um, Xavier Johnson is going to be someone you can compare with these three guys we have right now. He was in the 70s by most recruiting services, Um, really solid player, uh, ups and downs throughout, um, but I think you're going to see him as a senior really have a productive year. People, um, I think maybe he's kind of gone from underrated to overrated to underrated, in my opinion, um, throughout the process. I think people think a little bit lower of him as he's really important to this program and has done a lot of big things. I think you'll see him have a really solid senior year. If you get all three of the guys we signed in this class to have similar careers to his, you'll be in pretty good shape. Obviously, you want one to exceed that. Um, And to me, Wesley Gordon, again, worthy of his ranking. If you get three guys that are as good as those three were for this program, you're going to see a lot of success. They signed Eli Stalzer late that year. They signed Xavier Talton in the early signing period. Did they have another signee in 2012? Uh, no, I think it was just a five. I mean, obviously, okay. Stalzer is a guy that you probably give a nod to the current class. You'd rather not sign someone than yeah. have somebody like that. But I think Talton, um, while you know, he wasn't the greatest player ever, did have some moments where he helped his team and was a good defender throughout the process. So by the time he finished as a senior, he was a pretty valuable member of the team as well.
2: Call me Coach B asked, What was your biggest takeaway from the Oregon win? In your minds, does that win legitimize a shot at the South title? A shot
0: for sure. I mean, you look at what everybody else is doing in the South right now. There's no reason that we shouldn't have that goal uh, at the moment. Um, you know, I don't, I don't think Oregon is worse than a few of the teams we're going to be playing in the South for sure. But that's okay. I mean, we, I think it really is the Michigan win to me that has shown that we could play with anybody in this league right now, uh, especially healthy. Um, everybody in the South is down. I mean, UCLA I still think is pretty good. They've had some tough losses really close at the end there. I mean, there's really no shame to me in losing at Texas A&M and losing to Stanford. Those are two great teams. Uh, But they are fully capable of making mistakes. I think that's the one team that we have to set our eyes on now is the team we have to chase. Utah and Arizona State are undefeated, but heavily flawed in my opinion. Um, USC obviously struggling quite a bit right now. So, you know, I, I think this is as good a shot as we've had in as long as I can remember for sure. Um, Yeah, I mean, that should be the goal. There's no reason not to be.
2: In terms of the biggest takeaways, I think uh, there were two main ones there. Just getting over that hurdle as a program of finding yourself in a tough environment, losing the momentum and being able to come back and find a way to win a football game. They just, that was kind of the last hurdle for them to take under this coaching staff and they accomplished that and then just a few, knowing the future of the quarterback position and, and seeing Montez perform like that, uh, I, I think are the, the
0: biggest takeaways. Yeah, there. I was just going to add that just the overall team speed. I mean, you look at where we were three years ago compared to Oregon to now, uh, you could argue we were the faster team. That's unbelievable to comprehend just how much talent there is on the field for CU right now.
2: Buff Predictor asked. Are we overstating beating Oregon as an accomplishment and barometer of progress as a program for CU, or does it deserve all the acclaim it's getting?
0: Um, I guess I can see the question uh, because Oregon isn't what they used to be, but I don't think people are saying this win is beating Oregon of old. What I think they're saying is we beat a, a solid team on the road for the first time in a long time, and we also beat a demon. I mean, nobody has put it to us like Oregon has in this league since we've gotten here. Um, that's a team that I think there we hold a lot of ill will towards because of that fact. Um, they wanted to beat Oregon, you could tell, based on what people were saying post-game um, and the reactions of the team. It, it just shows how much progress we've made in three years. We've come a long way. I think that's more than, more than anything, is important for the mental makeup of this team. They now believe that they can beat anybody. Whether or not that's true, we'll find out, but you're not going to beat anybody if you don't believe it, so it's an important first step. And part
2: of The answer to this question will come as a result of what happens going forward, right? Yeah, Mm -hmm. sure. Um, And, hey, hey, if Akella Witherspoon doesn't break on that ball and it's a touchdown, Colorado's 0-1 in conference play, you're still having to deal with all those questions. You mentioned the demons. You're still having that dark cloud hanging Mm -hmm. over this program. Um, I think from that standpoint, there is really no underselling what would this win meant for the program. CT Buff asked, assuming CU beats Oregon State, what is now the ceiling for the Buffs and what's the floor? You talked about, it, I think, sealing Pac-12 championship. And honestly, maybe you disagree with me here, but I think their floor at this point is just getting to a bowl game, just getting six wins.
0: Um, Yeah, I would still say five. But, you, that's, I so. but okay. that's, I mean, I'm, I would be surprised if that happens. I mean, if they beat Oregon State, they're not losing seven games in a row. This team is way too talented for that. So that eliminates four and eight for me. The five and seven, I mean, who knows with the injury stuff. I still feel like, though, there's a greater than 50, maybe even 60% chance of us getting to six wins, assuming we take care of Oregon State this week. You could give me a scenario where they get to five, but it is there are not a lot of scenarios out there that you would get to five. So to me, I mean, I see where you're coming with the four. The safe floor is definitely six. I think worst, like the, a disaster, is five.
2: There would have to be uh, tons of injuries, I think, for that. But yeah. I guess uh, stranger things have happened. LJ Buff 0-4. Had a different type of question here. Did you see Cody Hawkins' comments after the game, and what were your feelings on them? I actually hadn't, but then he later went back in on the thread and and posted what Cody had put on social media. Apparently, Cody posted a picture of himself being carried off the field after the West Virginia game and quoted it by saying, Colorado winning has me feeling like... And he went on to say, I'd like to give a ringing endorsement to both coaches. Helfrich is an amazing coach and person and Oregon. Should be proud to have him leading their program. New quarterbacks and back-to-back years is tough. Big props to the whole Buff staff. Can we buy in and get them an extension, please? Treat them right. Um, the, the first off here, Cody Hawkins was an awesome kid when he was at Colorado. Yeah, you know, Dan Hawkins was one of maybe trying to run through my brain real quick. I would say three coaches. And this includes all assistant coaches that didn't have a whole ton of respect for his people. He's the only head coach that I didn't respect as a person. Um, but his son was awesome in, in. So it's cool to see that Cody is still watching CU and doesn't hold ill will towards Colorado. Like his father, who put all his CU gear in a big bag and dropped it off with the equipment staff when he left town. He wanted nothing to do with CU when he got fired. Cody having this reaction is cool. I I, I like to see that he's watching the program.
0: I'm curious as to what the angle is here for the question. I mean, I don't see a single thing that he says that's controversial or... In any, I mean, it's exactly what Cody is. He's, to the end of the day, he's positive. He has a relationship with Helfrich. He has a relationship with Colorado. He wants the best for both of those programs, and that's totally understandable to me. Um, I, I mean, I don't know, the whole get him an extension thing. I mean, he's not the only person to say that, and honestly, I think it would be really nice to have some longevity around here. Uh, it might be a little bit early, but I don't think it's that early. And, I mean... The worst-case scenario you can say about McIntyre is he has completely turned this thing around to the point that they're a legitimate Power 5 football team. That's the that's the worst-case scenario for what he's done here. So, um, you know, to me, it's I don't see anything even remotely wrong with the statement. Uh, I'm glad that he still roots for the bus, and I, you should be too. I, why wouldn't you?
2: Yeah. Moving along, Dune, 1980. 19- ADR asked, who is the best candidate to replace Derek McCartney? Shaver, follow, or committee? Do you? Uh, will they continue to use Moeller in spots? Um, and then that's the end of his question. Obviously, we've got to throw Hassel back in there as well. We, we yeah. talked about this last week on the show. I think the Ryan Moeller moving outside linebacker was a great idea to go against a speed team like right. Oregon. I think you'd like to see him maybe, uh, maybe Arizona in that similar role. Uh, I'm trying to think who else. Uh, maybe a Washington that. State.
0: Yeah, Washington State probably good. UCLA maybe to some degree a little bit. But, yeah, I mean, those those smaller, faster teams for sure. Um, I think this week, Oregon State, not as much speed on the outside. You're going to see one of the bigger guys play a bigger role there. Actually, rewatching the game, Hasselbeck played a lot in the second half. Um, missed one tackle on the outside, but besides that, held his own. Um, I noticed none of, none of these guys had tackles, which is kind of interesting. So they kind of just used them as an edge holder uh, for the most part. Um, I did not see Shaver play a whole lot at all, um, but it wasn't really focused on it throughout the game. So I'll go back and watch it for sure. Follow did play, but not as much in that position as you would have maybe thought. Moeller um, was terrific. Um, got ran over once on one big play, but you know he's a small guy. That's to be expected. At some point, you're going to get caught. Um, but he was really good setting the edge. Had a, Taj Griffin running on the outside at one point in the fourth quarter. i mean third or fourth quarter. I forget which. That would have been for 30 yards if Mueller had not strung him out, so held him to two yards, pushed him out of bounds. Huge play for the momentum in the game. JG
2: Buffs asked, "Would you guys like to revise your preseason predictions for the Buffs' record this season?" Well, I I don't because remember I said it was the anti-Jinx was on if. I had predicted
0: Colorado would win seven games. Colorado would be struggling right now. I'm pretty confident of that. Yeah. Um, people, someone, had, someone during the game was giving me crap about predicting us to win five games, too. And it's like, listen, we have to, like, you guys, you, you as fans can just say whatever you want. There's no ramifications. Like, we have to actually be held to these predictions. Like, if we predict them to win eight games and they win four, we get crucified for, you know, making the fan base get all hyped. And then we, you know what I mean? We have, all these things come into effect when you as a fan, you can just say whatever you want. So, no, I'm not going to adjust it, honestly. Well, I mean, you, you obviously don't think they're going to win five games now. No, I don't. But You don't regret but, your initial but prediction. But we all thought this was a good team. The prediction had a lot more to do with who we were playing than anything else for me, and who we're playing has been much less impressive than I expected so far. I expected us to be a talented team that was capable of making a bowl game in pretty much any other schedule in the country. My issue is the schedule. So far this year, the schedule does not look all that tough. So, yeah, that's the, the not the only factor, but definitely a big factor in why I think we're, at this point, sitting really comfortable to be in a bowl game.
2: Well, here's, here's a fun game. You predict right now what you think their season win total is going to be based off
0: what you saw the first four games. I'm going to go seven wins. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm down with seven as well. Seven or eight even, maybe. Seven is what I would hit first. Yeah. And part of that, I think
2: some teams like USC, Arizona, I think are going to start to kind of figure some things
0: out, you would think. Yeah, I mean, USC has lost. and They had no business losing that game to Utah last week on the road. They're better than Utah. They totally blew that game. They're struggling. There's no doubt about that, but... I mean, we'll see. They, again, they lost to Stanford and Alabama. A lot of teams are losing to Stanford and Alabama. So I think they're definitely, they've been disappointing way more so than I expected, but I, to say they're going to finish last in the Pac-12 South is probably a stretch, and I've seen a few people do that so far this year.
2: It kind of uh, segues us into this next question from OC Buff Freak. Recognizing that there are no gimmies in the Pac-12 play, which of the Buffs future opponents present the biggest matchup challenges? And obviously number one is at
0: Stanford. <laughs> yeah. That's... T- For everybody. Yeah, Stanford is the best team we play on the schedule left for sure. Um, We play at their own building. Christian McCaffrey is a matchup problem no matter who you are. Um, They're just extremely physical as well. Defense is tough. Um, I'll give us a better chance to beat them than we have in years past for sure, but that's the one with the real matchup problem. Um, Honestly, that's the thing is the rest of the schedule just isn't that scary to me anymore, which is crazy to say. I mean, like, I th- we have matchup advantages with every team left that we play, um, at least to the point that you consider us, like, there's a chance we could win every game the rest of the way, except for Stanford, in
2: my opinion. You talk about demons uh, that they had against Oregon. They've had those demons going out to Los Angeles and playing the, the Trojans. Yeah. You have, uh, you know, a connection there at USC. What mm-hmm. What's going on out there?
0: Uh, I mean, I honestly haven't talked to him a whole lot. I'm you know, like, what do you really say? You know what I mean? But he's, I will say this. He sent me a text message with a lot of capitals saying go Buffs after we beat Oregon. So that was pretty awesome. Um, I don't know. I mean, they didn't rip, They did not rush Justin Davis one time in the fourth quarter. He could be the best pack in the big, in the back 12. That's crazy. Unbelievable. He only had 10 rushes for the game. They had to lead most of the game. And honestly, they were moving the ball really well. It wasn't like he had 10 rushes for 12 yards. He had like 10 rushes for 82 yards or something like that. It's just incredible to me that they wouldn't have used him down the stretch. That was a brutal collapse. Um, Definitely a game they shouldn't have lost. Just watching that game, I still feel like I'm just totally unimpressed by Utah. They're undefeated, so that's awesome. But I just can't see that really hanging on for them.
2: Even with USC struggles, don't you still think that road game is probably their second most difficult game left?
0: Um, that or at Arizona, I guess, or at home no, against I mean, UCLA? Yeah, I would say probably UCLA one would be the only one close to that USC matchup in terms of difficulty. Um, USC just has so much talent. Like, if they show up to play and play well, you're going to struggle. Um, but yeah, I mean, they're, they're just... There are a lot of winnable games left. It's just crazy to think about. Like I'm just smiling, thinking about it. like we we literally could win a lot of games coming down the stretch. Oregon State, I think, is the
2: easiest game left on yeah. your schedule, and that obviously comes up this Saturday. Um, you have Washington State coming into town later in the season. Utah, obviously, later in the season. Arizona State in mid October.
0: I think uh, they're going to be favored in all four of those games. Yep. Yeah, I, I there's no reason to expect they won't be, um, which is unbelievable. Starting in the year we were. We were expected to be favored in one game in conference this season. And now we're going to be favored in at least four, probably five. It's crazy. Shoulder to
2: shoulder asked, in your opinion, which hire by McIntyre has had the biggest impact, Darren Cheverini, Jim Leavitt, or Drew Wilson? It's um, got to be Jim Leavitt.
0: Yeah. Honestly, it's okay. I'm probably going to get in trouble for saying this, but I'm going to. The Drew Wilson thing has now become overhyped. He has not been here long enough to make as big of an impact as we're trying to make him. The issue is, is that we used to be playing with 19-year-old kids, and now we're playing with 22-year-old men. That's why we're bigger. That's why we're stronger. That's why we're faster. These kids are developed now. It's really as simple as that. I mean, I, I like what he's doing and think that he can continue and make us be even better, but a lot of this just has to do with the fact that we're playing with grown men now.
2: I do think, though, that there is a team camaraderie factor sure. that, that was uh, missing under Dave Foreman, and that probably Drew Wilson has had more of an impact in than the, like, the sheer strength,
0: I yeah. would imagine. No, Yeah, that's definitely true, and that I'll buy for 100% certainty. I'm not trying to like downplay what he's done, sure. but at the end of the day, we have this speed, we have this talent, because we finally have guys who have been in this program for four and five years on the football field. That's the biggest determining factor in what we're doing right now.
2: With Jim Levitt, I mean, he takes over the worst defense in, in the Power 5 ranks. Yeah. And and what he's done, again, he benefits a little bit, too, obviously, from guys maturing and having... Mm-hmm. I mean, they had a pretty... This core group of guys was, by and large, mostly playing, uh, aside from a few pieces. Although, yeah. I guess they brought in the J, junior college
0: defensive alignment that yeah, I made mean, the, them impact. But you, you see what Akello has done in the two years since Leavitt has gotten here. I mean, he really struggled when he played when he first got here as a cover corner, he's lights out now. Like, you don't see anybody catching the ball on him down the field. He's given up, like, three catches all year for, like, 20 yards. That's incredible. Um, yeah, I mean, just this defense. They know where they're going. They're really physical, uh, especially at the point of attack Our defensive line. is just destroying people. It's incredible to watch on film. Um, Kenneth Bodhi, same thing. A guy who uh, McIntyre has talked about for years and years, but hasn't really put it together. Has been an absolute beast so far this season. I, I think we're legitimately have to be a top twenty-five defense in the country right now. Mm-hmm. Like I think you could honestly say that about this team. That's unbelievable. Like it's, we obviously have a lot of seniors and a lot of guys who are going to get some NFL looks, but it's just still crazy. I mean, you there's no way anybody would have had the balls to say that five years ago.
2: Now, if we had a crystal ball, it'd be easier. Uh, to say it was certain here, the answer to this question could, in a few years down the road, be Darren Cheverini. If you think about the fact that Jim Levitt could get hired away to be a head coach somewhere, you replace him with Tumpkin, and if Cheverini sticks around and they compete, continue to recruit at the level they are under his direction as recruiting coordinator, the receivers uh, have obviously blossomed under him, yeah. and uh, you know the tempo has worked. We've seen the coaches in Boulder in the past try to do these things offensively,
0: and they weren't able to do it. Darren Chevrini comes in, and all of a sudden they, they can push that tempo. Yeah, they're just lethal when they catch you in your base coverage. I mean, every single time it happened to Oregon, Devin Ross slant 30 yards. Every time you get caught with a linebacker on somebody inside, you're done. They'll do it every single time until you stop it, and nobody's done it yet. So, yeah, I mean, I think really this answer We'll be this question will be answered next year when we lose all these seniors on defense. If Levitt comes out and still has a productive defense next year, that's your answer. Because if we're able to do that, the guy's just in a world in his own.
2: You talk about a good problem in terms of the quarterback situation right now between Montez and Lufau. There's kind of a, a good problem in terms of the, the co-offense coordinators. It's mm-hmm. Both those guys are really bright guys. Uh, are they going to be happy being co-offense coordinators for a long period of time? I guess... Um, that's something they'll have to deal with at some point in the future.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, 99% of what they've done is just world-class. There's not a whole lot to complain about with them right now. We talked about it a little bit earlier. I just think sometimes they go away from the run game when it's really just chugging along down the mm-hmm. field. Just you know, stick with that a little bit more, especially if we uh, the second drive when we had that field goal. Three straight runs, four, five, six yards right down the middle. And then we ran that um, wide receiver screen to Shea on third down. Again, just keep piling Right up the middle. I I think that's the one thing that maybe they should go to a little bit more. But beyond that, dude, they've just been absolutely flawless.
2: CU Punish asked. CU could really use a game-changing running back, a big-time guy that is a threat every time he touches the ball. Thoughts? I think they, and somebody brought this up on that thread, I think they maybe thought they had it there for a minute with Patrick Carr. Obviously, he transfers out of the program. Uh, I hate saying this, but it is what it is. Kyle Evans is... And, and Philip Lindsey are both good for consistent chunks of yards. They're just not going to break off the long run. Donovan Lee has been a disappointment so far this season. Uh, yeah. Bo Bicharette's never going to be that home run threat.
0: No, yeah. So they not don't, they don't have that guy in the program. We don't, and of course you want that guy. Of course everybody wants that guy. But I think, honestly, having a more dof- dominant offensive line has something to do with this as well. Um, we're obviously much improved there, but you get a few more legitimate offensive NFL prospect-type road graders in there, and all of a sudden those holes start to get bigger and people are falling over more, and next thing you know, you're running all the way down the field. I mean, Lindsey, when he hits that gap, he's fine. Uh, but at the end of the day, I'll take five- and six-yard chunks all day long. They still have
2: number 19 Michael Atkins on the roster, but uh, we've talked about this before. I think a, a track athlete trying to play football.
0: Yeah, I mean, he um, didn't play at all in the Oregon game. It seems like they're kind of trying to work him in a little bit. Um, in, against Michigan, but yeah, at this point, I think they've found two guys they really love, and Philip Lindsay and Kyle Evans, and those are the two they're going to roll with. Yeah, Donovan Lee has not done a whole lot. Um, actually, came in when Lindsay got in trouble in that game and had a tack. He got tackled behind the line of scrimmage and then blew a block on a blitz and got Montez killed. So he hasn't been really getting it done. I think you'll see more and more of Evans and Lindsay as we go through.
2: Buff Predictor had another question, can you run down the returning defense alignment as well as recruiting prospects, both Prep and JC, and go over what strategy is moving forward once this year's Stellar Group graduates? Yeah, it's going to be tough to replace uh, Samson Kafavalu with Jordan Carroll and a Josh Chupo. There's no question I think the production is going to take a little bit of a step back last year. Uh, in terms of returners, you do bring back Leo Jackson, Jace Frankie, Timothy Coleman. Those will be your top returning guys there. Uh, and then you, you bring back, in, I mentioned to you to, this to you, Tyler, is uh, Jim is going to have to earn his paycheck next year. Definitely. Developing Lyle Tui Loma, Brett Tons, Eddie Lopez, Michael Matthews, Frank Umu, and Tariq Roberts. Obviously not all of those guys is going to prove to be a Pac-12-worthy defense alignment next year, but if you can somehow get two of them to maybe f- fit that mold and then turn over every rock, you can, including
0: JC guys out there. Yeah, I mean Shamar Hamilton is a guy that's coming into that. We'll see how that works out. Um, yeah, it'd be interesting to see how Tariq Roberts develops. I will say they have the size. Um, it's just about getting them ready to play. I mean, it's, we have bigger backups than we've had in years past. We just got to get them ready to go. I mean, we've you look at Eddie Lopez. He looks like he's a guy who can play. He just hasn't found a way to break into the rotation. For a he's got to find a mean done. streak. Yeah, and you know, Roberts has to gain a little bit of weight, but he's got the right frame. Um, we'll see what happens. It'll be interesting. We talked about this a little bit before the show. I think you might see Derek McCartney, if he comes back healthy, be asked to be a little more of that run stuffer next year, rather than rush the passer. Cause he does have that size on the outside, be a guy that you'll ask to be, um, maybe that he won't, he won't be a down lineman, but someone that they're going to ask to be helpful and run support just because you're going to have a smaller group next year.
2: Without question. The hardest thing for them right now is finding a replacement for Tupo. Lyle Tui-Loma is the closest thing in a body, from a body type standpoint. If he could somehow improve to being, like, you know, somehow play on, like, Justin Solis' level, you, there would be kind of a stopgap there. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he's going to be, like, an all-conference guy or anything at, at any point. Um, but, you know, in terms of recruiting, Buff Predictor asked about that. Brandon Peely is a guy they're looking at for that nose tackle role. He's 6'3", 290. He's got a thick upper body. He doesn't have that lower body, you know, thickness that, that Tupo does. And it, it goes back to finding guys like Tupo on the on the recruiting trail is the hardest thing. Uh, to find a, a space eater that can move and qualify, it's yeah.
0: sometimes next to impossible. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's it's a really specific need. You know, it makes it tough. Um, I don't know. Well, it would be interesting to see. I mean, you see Dante Sparaco and you see... Uh, the tight end who's escaping me at the moment. Sebastian, Sebastian over. Sebastian over. Thank you. As guys may be developmental in the future going down onto the D-line possibly, but neither of them are probably inside nose tackle. No, yeah,
2: they'll, they'll, they'll play that defensive tackle role. Um, Damian Daniels is a guy that could fit that nose tackle role. He's a solid 300-pound high school kid. Uh, he's going to take a visit to Colorado, but he's also known to be pretty high on Nebraska and Iowa. Might mm-hmm. be kind of a long shot there. They're making a run at Florida Commit is, would you pronounce this, Javier Edwards, 350-pounder yeah, yeah, from, from Blinn College? As far as I know. Yeah, that that's, that he, would be just what the doctor ordered. Are you seeing pictures
0: of him? Yeah. Oh, my God. he's There's no way he weighs 350 pounds. He's huge. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just, just have him stand there. He
2: takes up three blockers. <laughs> Definitely a space eater for sure. Um, in terms of those defensive tackle spots, you know, they're – Bringing out Trey Schumann, tentatively have him scheduled for an official visit in December. If you watched his senior film, he would he's hes underrated. He should be rated higher than he is. Greg Rogers, of course. Uh, I think yeah. there's a misnomer. Some people, I think, think he's a nose tackle, but he's, no, yeah, he's, he's a, an he's, athlete. Yeah, he'd be on one of those defensive tackle spots. Jacob Callier from uh, St. John Bosco is another guy, a defensive tackle that is considering Colorado. Uh, Terrell Thompson from Trinity Valley Community College. He's expected to visit Colorado. So those are some names there. There's no question you look at this recruiting class, they've got a lot of their needs filled up. It's down
0: to the the D-line and really getting that short up now. Yeah, I mean, just overall defense in general, I would say is going to be how they try to finish up most of this class.
2: JW925 asked, with two-thirds of the class full already, can you talk about the upcoming recruiting weekend? Sure, uh, we, we know there's going to be five official visitors Greg Rogers, who I just mentioned, Tyler Lytle, the Buffalo's quarterback commit, Jalen Jackson, one of their uh, receiver commits, Dante Spiraco is coming out from ING Academy. They have their bye week this week, so he's going to take his official this weekend. And then Maurice Bell, uh, one of their other receiver commits, also has his bye week this week, so he's going to come out. And there's some uh, notable unofficial visitors, which I'm going to kind of uh, tease here and just say check out our Buff Stampede Bits feature that's going to have more information. Um, also talked about someone that was on the commitment list recently that is no longer considered a Colorado commitment for academic reasons. Uh, to kind of tease some of the visitors that are going to come out in in October as well. Uh, so check out that feature. Usually I don't think we really ever tease stuff on this podcast, but I mean. We're going to do it more. Got to pay the bills, Tyler. Yeah, let's go. I like to pay the bills. <laughs> Dorn 09, wanted to know, this one's for you Tyler, no free ball on podcast this past week and the Buffs end up winning the biggest game in 10
0: years. Coincidence or not? Um, I would prefer to say that we started the free ball on podcast this year and since the Buffs have been quite good. So I'm going to take that strategic approach. Um, I'll say this, coming back from that trip and getting ready for this game, there's just not, I work at night and they work during the day. So, there's there's not a whole lot of time to get this done. Plus, we have, I mean, if you listen, you know, we have all these crazy segment ideas. Yeah, it's that, not just something you show yeah, up and you, do. Right, exactly. So, we we didn't want to, like, half-ass it because, obviously, it was a huge weekend. And now, it's going to work out in our favor because we're just basically going to combine the partying of the two weekends and just talk about how ridiculous it was. But, thank you for listening. Um, but, yeah, no, nah, man, Free Bomb Podcast is the main, if not only, reason the Buffs are playing as well as they are right now. I
2: had my anti-jinx, and you have your podcast. We have, we all have our theories here. Yeah. <laughs> all right, let's do your Pac-12
0: Power Rankings going from uh, 12 all the way up to 1. All right, 12 to 1. I always forget to do it this way. So 12, um, I moved Oregon State down to the end. There's one reason that I did this. Um, Washington State was off, so they could have easily stayed 12 for me. But they played at Boise State much closer than Oregon State played Boise State in their own building. So to me... Enough to move them up. Neither of them have shown a whole lot this year, though. Washington State still just has one win against an FCS opponent. Um, so they're 11 for me. No no real change there. Um, have some opportunities to get some wins here upcoming. Uh, they play Oregon this weekend, so it'll be interesting to see how that works out. Um, number 10, USC. Like I, they're not the 10th best team in the conference, but at some point you got to win some games. Totally blew it against Utah. Looked like the better team throughout the process. Not running the ball the entire fourth quarter is an absolute joke. They need to get that figured out, for um, in my opinion. So Arizona, number nine. Uh, really actually solid game against Washington. Held their own for sure, but have not accomplished a whole lot at this point. No real big-time wins or anything like that. I have Cal at eight. Um, Texas win, obviously, is huge, but pretty epic choke job in the fourth quarter against Arizona State, giving up 31 points. We kind of knew that their defense was going to be suspect, but a lot of turnover issues as well for them. So they're at number eight for me. Uh, Oregon, number seven. Uh, Again, like, lost at Nebraska at the end, kind of blew it there, had a chance against us as well. Um, I think they've kind of gone from being a team that's not as good as we thought they were going to be this year to now maybe they're a little underrated. I think a lot of people have decided they suck. I'm not really ready to make that statement. Their offense is still really dynamic. They're going to give up a lot of points, but I still think they'll be a solid team in the Pac-12 Arizona State number six um four0 but they've given up like 10 million points so I'm not really sure four0 thanks is, to thanks to Davis uh, Webb right yeah That's and a, I mean they should have lost to UT San Antonio as well so I mean they they haven't exactly started good from the bottom now we uh, yeah. did, they, they did have a winning it
1: started from the bottom now yeah. my whole team here yeah, started from the bottom
0: now we here started from the bottom uh, now the whole team here. Uh, started from the exactly bottom now we here from my five, started so from the bottom, now my old team and old and higher, um, They should have two losses, straight up. Um, got gifted wins from BYU and UC, or USC. They're four zero, so congrats to them. But overall, their defense has not looked as good as we expected, and their offense is still not really that great. So to me, I don't see them really. Some, I had an article on ESPN today. was like, are they a playoff contender? And I literally just laughed. <laughs> so no, they're not, in my opinion. Um, UCLA, I still have it four. Uh, you could say they lost to Stanford by ten, but they honestly had a Hail Mary attempt on the last play of the game. They got returned for a touchdown. That was a pretty close game. Same thing with Texas A&M. I think they're a pretty solid team that have two really close losses. Um, the Texas A&M game especially, they probably should have won the game. Uh, they do have some flaws, but at this point, you could make arguments against any of them being more talented than any of these guys.
2: I didn't um, see, I, real quick, I didn't see that play... Um, that you're talking about there. I think the spread was three and a half. Yeah, That'd be we, one of lost, the crazier we lost, we well, lost, right? I'm not
0: going to admit this, but yes, I lost money on that touchdown at the end of the okay. game. So what, what
2: so they, they were trying, they were,
0: try, they were about to it was a long helmet, Mary, like Cordell Stewart length, 70 yards okay. ish, and he got sacked and it got returned for a touchdown.
2: Okay. Which normally a lot of times you're just coached to get down anyways, yeah. right? Yeah, but he was all by
0: himself. Okay. Like he literally okay. just, he literally just walked in there's no one around, but, yeah. I can't imagine
2: what the, the sports, book in, sports books oh, yeah. in Vegas look There's like. There's a today. whole
0: bunch of games like that for the Pac-12 this week. I mean, the same thing Arizona for— Arizona State was a backdoor yeah, cover. Uh, yeah. yeah, on the onside kick. That's, we lost that one, too. So bad. Um, yeah, so uh, number three. This is strictly because I'm a homer. I have Washington. They haven't beat Wow. A, they okay. haven't done anything impressive yet. All right. They barely beat Arizona, who's not that good. They beat nobody in non-conference. Beat somebody good. If Colorado's facing Washington on a neutral field this they're Saturday. They're favored. Who, okay. But who or, are you picking to win the game? They're favored. That's, okay. that's my answer. All right. <laughs> <laughs> um, Colorado, number two, have actually proven something to me. One of the most difficult schedules in the country so far. Have looked good in literally all four of their games. Um, I have an opportunity to put them up this high, so I did. Simple as that. <laughs> Stanford, number one. They're the best team in the Pac-12. Uh, I guess they could prove me wrong this week playing Washington, but I expect them to win. They're my favorite team in the Pac-12.
2: What time favorite is that
0: game? Do you know? 7 p.m. Plenty of time to go up to <laughs> – oh, I'm sorry, Tyler. I didn't mean to pour the salt in the wind. You yeah, can have to go, to go a, up to Folsom on Saturday. To go to a freaking wedding. If you get married in the fall, I don't want to be your friend. Let's just make that very clear. Michael, aren't
2: you, you going to have to miss next week's game live too?
0: No. Okay. Well, it's at USC. I normally go to it, but I'm not going this year. Okay. My parents will be in town, but I'll be watching it. Yeah, dude, come on, man. The guy's even a CU alumni. My girlfriend's best friend is killing me this week. I'll get to watch, like, the first half. We better be comfortable, otherwise the start of this reception is going to be rough.
2: (laughs) On a scale of 1 to 10, how concerned should CU fans be about a potential
0: letdown against the Beavers? I was going to go one. Yeah, not not very high. Um, This team is not ready to lose to Oregon State at home (laughs) to start off the year. I mean, I could honestly see them struggling a little bit more than maybe we think. But if we lose this game, I'm going to be really, really surprised and really, really angry. For more on
2: Oregon State, be sure to check out my Q&A with Angie Machado of BeaverBlitz.com which also made the move from rivals to Scott here recently. So excited to be on the same team as Angie again. She is without question the best uh, publisher in terms of covering Oregon State. Um, she mentioned that um, Daryl Gerritsen, their quarterback, is expected to be back after being sidelined with a leg injury against Boise State last week. Uh, she obviously talked a lot about Victor Bolden and, and his playmaking ability as a returner. Um, he's, I think, he's third in the in the Pac-12 in all-purpose yards early on this season, yeah.
0: um, and you guys, you guys are gonna like your prediction out there. I, <laughs> it, I, I will say about Bolton, 99-yard touchdown kickoff returns help the average. So as yeah. long as we can avoid that, that'd be great. But they had, hey, he had, that really was the only thing that kind of tightened up that Boise game. They had that kickoff return for a touchdown to kind of keep it somewhat interesting towards the end. there.
2: Talk about Victor Bolden and his ability as a returner. And, and then you naturally transition into Colorado special teams. And, and Davis Price has one that goes back for a touchback, basically an adrenaline-aided kickoff there. The next, I think was it was about five more kickoffs you had were all short of uh, being touchbacks. And yeah. one of them was, re- was caught at the nine-yard line. That's an issue going forward. Chris Graham has an extra point blocked. And uh, if... Um, yeah, I just I don't have a lot of confidence in in their kickers right now. Um, how big of a concern is that for you?
0: Um, it, not a huge one, honestly. I mean, if we're able to score forty points a game, it's not going to matter a whole lot as long as the defense do their job. Um, Graham looked fine on the field goals. They're not going to kick not a whole in pre-game, lot pregame. He didn't. Yeah, well, yeah, that's okay. All, all they have to do is go in during the game. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, they're not going to kick the ball a whole lot with him. They're gonna you're going to see us go for more fourth downs. Um, Tyler, I think they're going to lose a football game because of their place kicking at some point was, this season. Well, I mean, what are you going to do? Your kicker got hurt. <laughs> it's, yeah. It is what it is. As long as we get to six total, I'm going to be just fine.
2: All right. Jaleel Weenie. we haven't talked about him. This was a guy that was a borderline top 40 guy on our preseason countdown. Their best special teams guy last year in terms of special teams points, uh, and we had that moment, uh, brief moment at Utah where he played quarterback and looked great running the ball He's uh, trying to get back from that back injury to play in, in the final six games of the season. It would be nice. This is a young man that uh, had the issue at Air Force and walks on at Colorado, has to pay his way for a while, finally finds a role on the football team. In his senior year, he's got this brand new back issue that crops up. Yeah. So it would be nice to see him running around out there. Tad Boyle and his basketball team are going to start practice on Friday. It seems early. But I'm looking forward to hearing those balls echo across
0: the Coors Event Center floor. Yeah, I still have never been to a practice, so we're going to have to change that this year. What are you doing Friday morning? Uh, I'm going to practice, I hope. Okay. That'd be sweet. So Let's do it. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited. I think the team has a chance to be really special this year. So I'd like to get a chance to watch them for myself. Finally get a chance to actually watch Derek White. I mean, we've heard everything there is to know about him. Guys who I really trust to tell me whether or not he's going to be good. I've told me he's going to be a stud, but it's always nice to have your own eyes. So you can have your own opinion that you can, you know, back up or be wrong about. We were
2: having a, a pretty
0: lengthy debate about who's going to lead this basketball
2: team in scoring, and I think it comes down to Derek White and George King, but I think it's going to be close between those two guys this year. I'll take Derek White. Derek White, okay. Yeah. I think um, it will be a situation where you see the the leading scorer average something like 13 points a game, but you have a lot of guys oh, kind of grouped together scoring.
0: I think Derek White's going to average more than that. We'll see. I mean, like I okay. said, I'll get to watch him tomorrow and decide for sure, but based on what I've heard, I think he's going to be scoring some more points than that.
2: You have kind of a – we've talked about the football team having some good problems uh, with depth This basketball program is going to have that as well. When you think of a guy like Josh Fortune all of a sudden coming off the bench, um, you've got a lot of quality guys there. It's going to be hard to, it's going to be interesting to see who's kind of the, the odd man out as far as that goes. Lucas Seward comes in and has done well offensively with pickup games with the team. I expect him to have a role on this team. Bryce Peters, I would expect to have some type of role on the bench. You're going to go pretty deep on this
0: team. Yeah, definitely. You're going to have a lot of guys playing. Um, one thing I'm curious to see is among that starting lineup, who's going to be your perimeter stopper if, if Fortune comes off the bench. Um, again, we'll be watching Derek White to see if he's going to fill into that role. But you got to love the level of talent. We're going to be short. That's okay in college, though. Most teams are. We have a lot of athletes. Um, there's a lot of scoring options. We're going to be pretty good. I'm, I'm excited to see what this entire football-slash-basketball season could bring us. It could be. Could be a little bit of an overload of excitement for me. (laughs) Who's your starting point guard? Probably Dom to start the year. Um, You give him a chance to prove that he's getting better, and if not, you go to Thomas Akizili. I don't think Bryce Peters is going to be ready to start yet, but I think, again, it's kind of a good problem to have. Akizili is a guy who I think can run the team if asked to. So obviously you want Dom Collier to take that next step and be a legitimate starting point guard, um, but if not, got to make a move somebody else. I think Derek White can handle the ball quite a bit too. What are your expectations for this season? 23 wins which is the most I've ever predicted us to have in a season. Um, I really think this is the best team we've had since Tab Boyle has been here. Um, There's a lot of potential. Um, I love the schedule. Got a really nice mix of um, quality non-conference opponents. Um, Starts really tough on the road in Pac-12 play but we're going to finish with an easier slate. Um, I think we have a chance to be really special.
2: Think this is Tad Boyle's best team?
0: Yes. I have
2: an issue with the start of the college basketball season, <laughs> mainly because with March Madness and spring football ending, you know, in, in April, you've got just this this stretch at the end of the spring and early summer where you don't have much going on until camp starts. Why do you need to start the basketball
0: season so early? Yeah, I don't really know how that got started either. I mean, especially now if football ends up being good and they play meaningful November games, some of those November games are going to be really scarcely attended as well, which is too bad because the basketball team deserves better than that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, it would just be so much simpler to just have it be second semester only. You go to May, you don't even have to really change. You know, It just becomes May Madness. Exactly. It's not, not even that different of a you know slogan or whatever you want to call it. And I think it just makes more sense in terms of getting people in the seats of both stadiums year in and year out.
2: All right. Well, I think that wraps up our show. Uh, in terms of the, this weekend's game, you're not going to be there. But, uh, you know, I would imagine there there, there needs to be a, a good crowd given the, the, the recruits that are coming into town. Yeah. Show, yeah, them, I mean, show those
0: guys some love. I hope people show up. I gave away my tickets um, for free. I mean, I hope people do the same if they're not going. You need to get people in the seats. Uh, yeah, I mean it's this is the second game I'm gonna miss since I went to school there in 2005. So less than pleased.
2: What what type of chant should they come up with for Greg Rogers? Oh man, I don't know.
0: Can't put me on the spot with that one. <laughs> I'll come up with something good. I'll put it on Twitter. <laughs> but that, they need to show that that guy some love. Yeah, I mean he's that. Well, maybe people don't know about him, but he's got official visits to some pretty gigantic programs coming up here. Uh, he's a beast. Um, I think he, the last one was Oklahoma, right? think so. Yeah. I mean, following up Oklahoma for an official visit is pretty crazy. Uh, this recruiting class is something special, but he's, he's a guy at a position of need that we really need. Bishop Gorman would be a huge program to get into. He's actually not at Bishop Gorman. He's at, he's, oh yeah, he's up the road. He's, he's boys
2: with all those yeah. Bishop Gorman guys. Yeah, though. but not at Bishop. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, they were actually going to try to bring him in in early December um, because they wanted to maybe try to get that last official visit, but he wants to commit on his mother's birthday, which uh, falls right before w- when that visit would take place. So when, when you have a chance to bring in a kid like Greg Rogers, you bring him in when well, you can bring him in and hopefully try to get maybe that last in-home with McIntyre uh, to have the last word there. It, a lot of people have assumed that he is leaning towards USC, but you got to start to wonder with some of USC's struggles early on the season how much that might change his, his thought process. Um, and then you, the fans got to show Tyler Lytle some love th- this weekend as well. He's verbally committed. You really got to hope that he's enough of a competitor that he doesn't see Steven Montez's performance
0: and have uh, I mean, second thoughts about his commitment.
2: They're two years apart.
0: I mean, that's just kind of how it goes. There's always a quarterback a few years older than you that has a chance to take the starting role. I mean, nowhere else he's going to go is going to be any different. Um, and we already got big name draft experts talking about montez being an early entry guy which is ridiculous of course i mean who knows how it's going to work out but yeah i mean he's going to be let's say he redshirts next year montez will be a junior i mean at the very least you're waiting two years i don't i think it's that big deal all right well that's it for this week's
2: show thanks for tuning in
1: Drinking a German beer uh-huh. with a Cuban cigar uh-huh. In the middle of Paris with a Dominican bar uh-huh. Great head on her shoulder, uh-huh. she probably
0: studied abroad uh-huh. She transferred to Harvard yeah. from King's College in March uh-huh. She says that I'm her favorite cause she admires the art uh-huh. Michelangelo with the flow, Picasso with the bar yeah. She's well put together like a piece by Gershwin, Gershwin. Renaissance style, tonight it's pitchy perfect uh-huh. so smile and pack your bags real good baby Cause you'll be gone for a while, Wow, while wow. yeah. It's your fantasy, uh.